Throughout my 25 plus years of working in higher education, I've had the chance to build relationships with all types of creatives. Each one of these people has a story to tell that will go deeper into their mindset as a creative. Each episode, I will take you inside the mind of a creative as we weave together stories that led to overcoming doubt, tapping into motivations, and ultimately unlocking the creative psyche. Hello and welcome to The Undaunted Creative, a podcast that takes a closer look into the story behind success. Today's guest, Adam Miller, is a production engineer, a musician, and a true creative. Hailing from Texas, Adam quickly integrated himself into the Chicago music scene by becoming a member of the highly prolific Chicago band Jungle Green. Over the last few years, the band has continued to make inroads not only in Chicago, but also nationally. We're going to discuss this and a whole lot more in today's episode. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. So all of us have these early memories of being creative. When you look back at your childhood, what's the memory that really stood out for you when it came time for artistic creativity? Yeah, you know, I've always been a big fan of music. I was always big into it. I always had like a Walkman, like in elementary school. I'd walk around with mixed CDs listening to music. And uh, so it was always a, a big part of my life. But I feel like whenever I was in middle school, I became like, you know, really tapped into it just as a passion of mine, like really just started uh, appreciating it on a deeper level. And uh, pretty soon after that, I started playing guitar and started to meet some friends uh, who played music as well. Um, and so I had a friend like in eighth grade and pretty much as soon as we started hanging out, we started trying to write songs together and started just learning covers and stuff and just doing whatever we could to, to play music. And um, yeah, that, and you know, just trying to replicate, you know, just the, the bands we knew and loved and uh yeah eventually went on with that guy and we formed a band in high school and that was uh yeah a really big and prevalent part of my life all through high school was just playing music and writing for the first time with those guys well i think also what's interesting is it sounds like you were self-taught maybe had some lessons early yeah. on but but really went from there in terms of just teaching yourself to play these songs and to develop melodies, um, which is, again, a, a key cog of as a musician, as an artist, and as a creative. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Texas. What part of Texas are you from, and what did the scene look like um, in high school for you? Were there opportunities for you to play at different venues? Yeah, it was actually, it was pretty good. I was in, uh, I was in Fort Worth, like the Dallas Fort Worth area, more specifically in Keller, Texas, um, which is just like, uh, you know, just as a, as suburbia as you get, just like right in the thick of just the expanse of the DFW Metroplex. Um, so the environment itself at face value is somewhat bland because it's, you know, just very like, uh, you know, cookie cutter homes, like the neighborhood we lived in, it was literally like I had friends in the neighborhood where we all had the same house layout, you know. Um, you know, if you're just looking at it at face value, it's not the most inspiring environment. Um, in my high school, it, I think we were there in a good 
wave of time because there were a bunch of other bands. Uh, there was definitely like a music community at my high school where we had our own group and then there'd be kind of the different mutual groups of friends and we each all had our own bands and would all inspire each other and we'd play shows together and uh we had one friend who would get all the high school bands together and throw like a big festival at this one uh it was like kind of like an airplane hangar basically like not really but that was kind of the vibe just this weird open space in the middle of keller that uh we do a big music festival for and all the bands at our high school would play at it and we did that for a couple years um so I'm really grateful for that, you know, and somewhere where you might not think that there's so much uh, of a music community going on. Uh, I was very grateful that I was able to find a lot of people, you know, who are, you know, was able to seek out that community, you know, where people were all in the same thing. Well, I think it's great also because you're out there, you already developed a community. Then you decide to come to Columbia College, Chicago. You come to Chicago. Um, what was that decision like? You're leaving friends behind and you're coming to Columbia in the big city, third largest market. What were those initial thoughts? Yeah, well, it was um, it was nuts. I was moved to Chicago from Huntsville, Texas, where I was going to school for a minute. So that was even a more... Uh, you know, micro level than Keller, Texas, um, where there was no music scene and no, like, I, I kind of lost all that stuff I had in high school. So I was pretty eager to get out and was excited to move into a city like Chicago, where I knew there would be just so much more uh, culture and so much more going on, uh, which I definitely got. It was overwhelming for sure when I first got out there. It's uh, a massive culture shock and it's just a completely different way of living um environmentally and culturally and all of that um so it it wasn't you know it wasn't the easiest thing ever it was it was difficult for a while for me just to adjust to the new space and to make friends um and uh but in moving there, I knew it was, you know, I was going to try and get back in touch with writing music. And I'd been out of it for a couple of years and I wanted to get back into it and was lucky enough through Columbia, you know, to meet, uh, you know, some friends and in due time was able to meet some people who played music as well. And uh, once that picked up, I was uh, just right back to it. You know, we was able to move past that slump and uh start to get really excited and uh, inspired about things again. So you're working in what we call the studio time offices, like a studio cage. Oh, yeah. Up on the seventh floor, of the 33 East Building in the city of Chicago, just so listeners out there can envision that. Um, third largest market. And you meet this kid from Boston, right? Uh, Andrew Smith. And the, so the man himself. So he's yeah. a student. He's coming to studio time. Is that where that relationship started to form in terms of, hey, I like some of the same music or I'm in a band? Tell us about that. Well, we met in a, in a radio interviewing class, actually. We were in the same class together, uh, not to bypass the whole studio time thing. That was a great experience uh, and a trip just working downtown like that and uh, working in those studios. but. We went, met in radio interviewing and with Barbara Calabrese and she uh, 
was pairing us up on the first day and just randomly and she paired me up with Andrew and I remember Andrew just goes oh cool you know when he heard that we were paired up together and we had never even like spoken or anything it's just like all right that's cool that's that's a nice guy you know um and so we had to each come up with something that we wanted the other person to interview the other about and Andrew told me he wanted me to ask him about uh making eggs in the morning so i was like all right well we'll see where this goes you know so uh we're in the booth and i'm interviewing him and i go so andrew you know like you've uh i know that you're a big uh egg guy i know that you love your eggs like what so what's your uh what's your method you know what do you do and he's like well i just like to put the egg on the pan and i scramble it up and and then that's, you know, and then I eat it. And I was like, all right, well, like, do you like, do you like to use anything else? Or like, what do you like to do? And he's like, no, that's, I just like to do that. I just like to eat my egg. And, and this is like the first impression I'm getting of him. And it's just like, it, it's just really funny. It was just a very odd uh, interview <laughs> where I was expecting a whole lot more. And it was just this very, uh, yeah. It, it was almost like a test. If you could get his sense <laughs> of humor and then that kinship would develop from there. Absolutely, yeah. But we were talking after that, and it wasn't long before we were talking about music. And he was—he's friends with uh, a guy named Paul DeYoung of uh, the band The Books from like the 2000s. They're a great uh, kind of art rock band, I guess you could call it. Uh, they use a lot of like found sound stuff, and um, I was a huge Books fan. Um, and so hearing Andrew say that, I was just like, oh man, really? And we're, he sent me his, uh, record that he was working on called, uh, Eight Doo-Wop Gems, uh, which is a legendary record. Um, and I listened to it, uh, and was just totally blown away. Just thought he had such a unique voice and was doing something really cool and was just a great songwriter. And, um, yeah, it was just so cool. That was like, you know, that second semester at Columbia. So I was really coming out of my slump and it was just so uh, inspiring to meet him and hear the music he was doing. And I was just very grateful, you know, to to have been connected with him. So let's discuss Jungle Green. Um, what right now is the lineup and can you give the listeners a little bit of a background? Because it's hard to really put an imprint and tell listeners this is what the band sounds like because it really is you have to see jungle green live to really get a feel for them wouldn't you say yeah yeah i appreciate you saying that because i think that uh we definitely think of ourselves as as a live band in many ways um so yeah what what might make it so hard to pin down is that we we all switch instruments every song uh we're all self-taught none of us are very you know we're all we, we know how to play but we're all somewhat amateur musicians but we're all home recorders as well so we're we're moderately good at playing every instrument so that's kind of the fun of the band is each new song we all just hop on a different instrument and it brings out just a different flavor to what's going on and we learn how to play off each other in a more instinctive way than we all have our roles in the band. It's like we 
it's more just like this unit of sound um but through that you know we've we're, you know we hop genres a lot you know i mean we play like a lot of mod rock inspired stuff also a lot of like uh more 70s like you know we were really inspired by like todd rundgren and all that at a period of time and uh more recently more inspired by uh even bands like the strokes and and all of that so um yeah we're, we're all just big music fans and just love all sorts of stuff you know so we we just try to take the opportunity to uh vary things up as much as we can and and that's not to mention that andrew is just completely crazy live and uh will crawl around on the ground untying people's shoes and uh has uh duct taped himself on stage and uh regretted it intensely later is uh <laughs> and so he kind of ups the level where we all over time have you know had to adapt our energy to whatever andrew was throwing down so uh yeah it's uh it's a crazy mix and um uh you know like to think that they're uh pretty fun shows to experience never a dull moment there's no doubt <laughs> yeah. about that from what it sounds like and so you start to gain attention not only locally but i know lior and the reader did an awesome article oh, yes. on the band um you know talking about the marketing that andrew and the band is, was doing in terms of putting these really cool uh signs up on um posts all around chicago you know like stop signs and other things where it's not going to get ripped off and uh, buildings and talking about my name is andrew i'm part of this band called jungle green and we've got a cassette available and you can you know order this cassette and also talking about gigs and what have you so you start to gain that attention locally and then nationally Foxygen comes into play can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that story and also what happened after meeting Foxygen yeah so Andrew I believe got connected with Foxygen and all the way back in like 2013 he uh, was making music uh, you know a few years before he met all of us and uh, mm -hmm. under the name Jungle Green and he just reached out to Foxygen. They were playing a show in New York and he was in Massachusetts. Um, and he just sent him the music he was working on and uh, asked if he could open for them. Uh, just a cold email. Uh, you know, they heard the record and they loved it. And they asked him to open the show for him in New York, which was like a huge, I forget exactly where they played, but it was a big show. Like they were pretty popular at that time. And so Andrew just goes up with his, uh, I think he's playing, he's playing it, the, he's just playing the music like karaoke style and is just singing over it um, on stage. And uh, I think a lot of people didn't <laughs> like it and a lot of people, you know, maybe did like it, uh, but at the very least, Foxygen liked it. Um, I know we played another time with him and he just did like comedy like half the time and they didn't even really know that he was... <laughs> gonna be doing like a comedy thing and then playing his songs in between so he's really just kind of on his own wavelength but he had that sort of character where yeah they they really uh really liked him and respected him and what he was doing so years later we're all the band is formed now and we're all playing shows and we put together a little tour that we were doing summer of 2016 and Andrew gets a text from Jonathan Rado while we're all in the car, 
just saying like hey man like you're so prolific like you got we gotta like get in the studio and work on something and so we're all like just minds blown like by that text message like that would be the most amazing thing in the world like i was a huge foxygen fan in high school and uh we, you know we all really liked them uh and so you know there's just like a little bit of back and forth and next thing you know we set the date um and we go out and to la in the fall of 2017 for two weeks and record a whole album at uh the studio called snore recorders um forget exactly what neighborhood it's in but this is like a historic studio like elliot smith had recorded records in there uh I'm, I'm blanking on who else. I know like the War on Drugs recorded a record there, but all sorts of people have been there. Father John Misty. We, we had, when we got there, we were recording on tape, like actual tape, like reel to reel. And Rado had just been working with Father John Misty right before we got there. And we literally recorded over the Father John Misty tape to record wow. the Jungle Green album, which we were all like, okay, we're <laughs> definitely not like on the same level at all. You know, like this is just a really funny circumstance to be in. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, just, I don't even know, you know, what you could even say about it, but um, it, it was a whirlwind and it all happened very fast. And, uh, suddenly we were in this position where we just had this amazing opportunity. And so you go out there and do you drive out there or do you wind up taking a plane? You've got your equipment. I imagine you probably drive out there, right? Well, we, we actually just flew out because, you know, Sonora is just packed like with equipment, you know, there's just all sorts of stuff in there. So uh, we were able to just fly out and that was kind of a cool thing too, you know, is we just fly out and just use what's out there. It's, kind of part of the spontaneity of the recording process. Um, yeah. So so one of the great things was the fact that you were able to play Hollywood Forever, um, you know, a historic cemetery in Los Angeles, uh, the late Chris Cornell and the late Johnny Ramone amongst those buried there in terms of musicians and many other dignitaries from the entertainment world. What an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll try to make a, I'll try to make a long story short here we through okay so at sonora recorders with uh rado uh we meet a guy named kevin basco who uh is a great musician like also extremely prolific but he's the engineer for our session with rado he's friends with rado he played in foxygen's bands for the uh and star power tour he uh puts together a band in the March uh, after we recorded and asks us to tour with him uh, for a week. And so we do like a little like Northeast tour, like around New Jersey and in New York. And we play at Baby's All Right in New York. Um, and at that show, uh, the Lemon Twigs come out to that show. Brian and Michael Daddario, um, amazing musicians. Like they, they're, um, yeah, and amazing people too, you know, but they uh, come out to that show and we meet them there. They're friends of, they recorded their first record with Rado when they were, I want to say 15 and 17, I think they were that young, uh, Do Hollywood, which is a great record. 
but they know Kevin. They come to that show and we meet them at that show. Um, anyways, a few months later, we get an email. Andrew gets an email from them uh, asking us if they we want to tour with them for a month around the country um, in the fall of 2018. And so that's the next like just big, amazing thing that <laughs> happened to us just a year after the L.A. thing. Um, and so, yeah, first show, we drive to L.A. Uh, we get sidetracked uh, driving from Denver to L.A. because the mountains are all snowed up. So we have to take a, a long route. So we drive 22 hours the night before we go to L.A., we're all completely exhausted. The next morning we wake up. For some reason, we don't eat anything all day. So we're all like uh, just in a crazy headspace about to start this tour. And yeah, we get to Hollywood Forever Cemetery. There's this amazing venue. Uh, I want to say it's called the Masonic Lodge. Uh, I, I forget the, the name of it off the top of my head, though. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's very overwhelming. Uh, we'd never done anything like it, and we're just in this huge, or not huge, but uh, this very ornate theater. Um, it's a beautiful space. The cemetery is beautiful. Um, and it's immediately, like, by far, like, the largest show we've ever played. And we walk up on stage, and everyone's, like, applauding as we walk on stage, which we all just thought was like comical because it's like, what, like, what are you guys applauding for? You know, like we'd never like, you know, usually we're playing for like 15 people, you know, at like, uh, you know, some bar in Chicago, you know, but we're at this amazing space and um, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was kind of a blur. I think we were all really nervous and, um, but it was a great, show and i mean we worked really hard you know to get that set together so we were pretty prepared but it was uh yeah it was pretty mind-blowing um and uh definitely i mean you know to this day you haven't really experienced anything quite like that you know i mean there were other shows on that tour that were great but um yeah that la show was uh totally insane to be in that position it felt uh very absurd that we were there and uh, had the luck of being in that spot, you know. So I want to move on a bit and talk about, we talked about recording in Los Angeles. We talked about playing the Hollywood Forever show. Um, obviously, right now, there's not a lot of gigs going on. But one of the things that you've decided to do as a group, which I find is amazing, and for any young musicians out there, this is something that... Not many groups decide to do because usually you might lose a member along the way and they don't want to move, but you're moving. You're packing up as a band and moving to Los Angeles. Tell me about the decision and what do you feel is going to be the outcome? It, it's crazy. I mean, it's something we've thought about for a long time. I think we had, you know, just kind of felt like we had done all we could in Chicago uh, at this point in time uh it felt like we didn't really quite fit in with the music scene here like we met a lot of great people and great musicians and friends 
you know, at a certain point, it's like, you know, just didn't feel like it was really our scene. Um, so we've been talking about it for a while. And, you know, the pandemic hits and we're all of a sudden we're not playing shows anymore. And that, you know, was just a huge bummer. And uh, and we all thought that we were just going to totally blow up and that we were totally just, you know, we were so naive to think that, you know, like right when we went to LA, like that it was all just gonna fall into place. There's no way we're not gonna get signed, like all of that stuff. Um, we're gonna have back-to-back tours like for the rest of our lives. But that that didn't, it didn't pan out that way. But we reached a great place regardless because we were just working so hard in Chicago and playing these shows and they were happening more frequently and we were getting better shows with better crowds and we were becoming a better band and felt uh, really good about our new songs and our new set. And um, I think we all reached a place where there's a certain amount of letting go of what your expectations are um, in order to find like fulfillment in what it is you're doing. Because if we had hung on for, you know, two to three years, just like, if we don't get signed, like, this is a joke. And like, we, you know, what are we even doing this for? You know, if that was like our mindset, we would have stopped playing, you know, we wouldn't do it anymore because it wouldn't be fun anymore. You know, there was a reframing where it was like, you know what, this is actually what we all want to be doing right now is just playing music with our friends and playing shows. And it's so great that we get the opportunity to do this. And um, that's like, what this is really about you know and it's like i kind of reached that spot right before the pandemic so that was tough to swallow in itself you know it's like okay now we don't even really get to play shows anymore you know but you know it's like we're i mean we have the very least of issues to deal with in the last year and a half with what's been going on in the world but um i'm going into this la experience with a very open mind uh all my expectations are is I just want to go out and just continue to make music with my friends. Um, we're going to continue jungle green and we're going to keep making records. And, you know, I think that there will be more opportunity to do that in LA surely. And, um, I'm really grateful that I've got the group alongside me going out there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling very open-minded. I'm not, I, at this point in my life, we've been doing this for years and I'm not thinking uh, about trying to be the next greatest band that's going to get best new music on Pitchfork. You know, it's like, I'm, I just want to make music that I'm proud of and that me and my friends are proud of. And um, so it's crazy. I'm definitely in a very different place mentally now than I was a couple years ago, but I still feel equally driven, you know, to continue working on music and, and doing what we're doing. Well, I think that's the crux of it, too, is the fact that you have these collaborators within the band that not only are you musicians together and part of a band, but you're friends first and foremost. And this couldn't happen being in this band as long as you've been in the band and also deciding to go and move uproot, go to Los Angeles. I really think that those things work hand in hand is having that friendship and that camaraderie and we're in this together. And a lot of bands falter along the way because they have sort of that 
person who doesn't quote unquote fit with them, but everyone seems to get along. And I think this is important as we wrap things up is not only do all of you get along, but it's not just Jungle Green. You're doing your own projects too. And I want you to tell the audience a bit about that, about some of those projects. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so me and my friend Adam uh, Obermeyer, who is also in Jungle Green, uh, we have a project called Gold Star Gold Star. And uh, that's something that we recorded. We started recording right after we got back from recording in LA uh, and worked on it for about a year and a half. Uh, just recording it at home with uh, Vivian McCall, who is also in Jung Jungle Green. And uh, yeah, um, we just did that at home, just a series of home recordings, put that record together. And uh, we're lucky enough to get that record picked up by a label called Earth Libraries. Um, and so that record's out now. And um, and we get to see hear you sing too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, yeah, so yeah, me and Adam both write songs on the record. It, it's kind of split evenly with... Uh, it's like the, the Lennon-McCartney thing, huh? Flipping it. it. Exactly like that. It's uh, <laughs> equally as good and successful as, as that. Um, yeah, uh, no, um, yeah, so yeah. that. So hopefully, you know, we'll continue that in LA as well. And... Um, my friend Alex makes music under Essential Forever. He's another Jungle Green alumni, and uh, his music's amazing. He also just put out a record on Earth Libraries that everyone should listen to. Uh, he'll be coming out to LA too, and we have, we've got plans to work on another record of his. So, um, yeah, we're just gonna step it up. This whole we we've all got projects and are all gonna continue working and recording together. So. Um, but there is stuff that's out now, you know, that, that people can listen to. If you want to throw those websites out there or they can get it on any, any of the streaming platforms. Yeah, yeah. Just check out, you know, Jungle Green, Gold Star, Gold Star, Essential Forever. That's all on uh, any streaming service. Uh, Jungle Green, we just put out a new record. Jungle <laughs> Jungle Green Will Never Make It is the name of it. Uh, nice. This is, uh, you know, take what you will from the title. Um, and... Uh, that record is available everywhere, and uh, we have a music video out for that as well. So, so there's all sorts of stuff. If you find any of us on Instagram, you can do some digging and and find our various endeavors. Well, thank you so much, Adam Miller. What a creative, and we can't wait to hear about the latest exploits once the band gets out to Los Angeles. I'm sure that you're going to be playing a lot of gigs out there and uh, recording some new music, and um, who knows, maybe another Hollywood Forever gig. Maybe so. I would, I, I would love it if that happened again. Thanks so much, Adam. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's been, uh, it's been great to talk, and... Uh, you know, you know, I'm always, always grateful for your support. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Undaunted Creative Podcast. Undaunted Creative is a production of WCRX-FM in collaboration with the Career Center of Columbia College, Chicago. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Column Career. That's C-O-L-U-M-C-A-R-E-E-R. -E -E 
This episode was produced by Matthew Byrne. To hear more episodes of The Undaunted Creative, check them out wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Tom Joyce. Thanks for listening.